Support the Dungeon Masters Dojo by heading over to Apple Podcasts and Podchaser and leave a review. Take the time to leave a comment as well. This helps make us more searchable to those listeners interested in content such as ours. But more importantly, we want to know how we are doing and what topics you would like to hear about. Another way you can support the DMD is buying the DMD Asaki so we can continue to deliver quality content to you, our listeners. This also helps us upgrade and replace equipment. Head over to buymeacoffee.com forward slash the DMD and buy us a sake or three or five. Don't forget to say something nice or mean. We don't care. You're buying us a sake. Now on to this week's episode. You've probably picked up a thing or two about being a good DM if you listen to the DMD long enough. But what about players? A good player can make a DM's job not just easy, but can make for a really satisfying game session. It's time to pay some attention to our players out there. That's why we're talking five habits of a good D&D player this week on the Dungeon Masters Dojo. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Dungeon Masters Dojo podcast. This is a show for game masters and players alike. We hope to bring you tips and tricks to elevate your game and develop the art of dungeon mastery. I'm your host, Louis Zapante, and these are your dungeon masters, Scott Labby and Bill Robitaille. Let's head to the dojo and see what they have in store for us today. Hey, Scott. Hey, Bill. I thought Lou should have read that second sentence because he's our resident like professional player. He is. And I think that line would have been perfect for him. But I thought you guys were writing all these bullet points about me. So that's why I let you guys say that. Oh, thanks. Well, when we're talking about players, it almost always ends up you because you're our best inspiration, best example for what not to do. Hogwash. (laughs) I further the story. You further something. Use your anxiety. Scott's especially. Can I do a plug? Sure. Am I allowed? Yeah. Uh, I'm going to plug a good friend of mine. Her name is Chelsea. She's a female gamer. Um, She's pretty awesome. Uh, She has just gotten into um, tabletop RPGs, specifically D&D. But she's a a console gamer. Despite that, I'm still very fond of her. And I'm glad she's come over to our side. So she's got this thing going on. Uh, you can find her over on Blue Tundra Gaming. And uh, if you look over there, uh, her page will come up. She's looking for for stars. I'm right uh, here. Like the kind in the sky. Oh. Those kind of stars. I don't really know what they do, but um, stars, I guess, is how, how these, these crazy gamer kids go ahead and... Uh, get themselves recognition and a little walking around money put in their pocket. Uh, so go check Chelsea out over at Blue Tundra Gaming. Um, she's adorable. And she's a pretty, pretty good gamer. And she's going to be joining us with uh, Huge Rot Matthias Johansson and doing a little more play testing of um, the hybrid, uh, hybrid gaming uh, so I'm really looking forward to that and to kind of 
uh, push her through the door. The door is open, <laughs> and she's standing there, and I'm going to give her a good shove through that door. So Now, did you tell her that it's three flights up and there are no stairs? I did not, but thanks for ruining the surprise. Uh, by, the, by the time she hears this episode, she would have already been tormented by us. Yes. I, I mean, experienced I, um, uh, gaming with us. Yes. Uh, so check her out over at Blue Tundra Gaming. Um, I watch her on on Facebook. Um, I guess that's the only time you can watch a female 30 years younger than you on Facebook and not be creepy. So uh, she does her <laughs> if, if live that's streams, what you're going yeah. with and you believe that, okay. Yeah, Dead by Daylight is the game that she plays. That's pretty neat, too. I was watching that. It's like Tag with the serial killer. Yep. Um, neat, neat stuff. So go check her out. Chelsea over on Blue Tundra Gaming. She's the adorable one. Got it. And what platform does she stream on? I've watched her on Facebook. But I, I mean, think it's a Facebook thing. Is it... um? She, you said console. I should have said, what console does she stream on, Xbox or PlayStation? I think she's a PlayStation uh, player because she's I haven't. She's dead to me. I haven't, <laughs> I haven't played with her. Um, Sorry, Chelsea. Because I have, I have uh, that's lose loss. Well, well, welcome to a touch of what we deal with on a regular basis. Yes, he's not a nice man. Um, We've been dead to him so often. I, I think, think we qualify yeah, as undead. I think she does PlayStation. Yeah, because we haven't played. Um, I'm, I have an Xbox. Yeah. Yep, that's right. And, uh, and a computer, but I, I seldom play on my computer because usually if I'm sitting in front of it, Lou's like, are you on your computer? Are you doing work? Where's the episode outline? I need a DM quick tip. Why aren't you updating the webpage? I thought you were supposed to be writing, writing blogs. How come you're not reaching out to sponsors? You know what it's like, Bill. No, I'm usually taking a nap. Yeah. And I take the hearing aids out of his, the batteries the, out of his yeah, hearing so aids. So I, I don't hear the phone ring. I, don't really, you know, I can't so. wait till I get hearing aids. <laughs> Neither can I. <laughs> So we're, we're the dog talking. And I, the dog and I both tilt our heads in a weird look. What? <laughs> we're going to talk about five habits of a good D and D player today. And Lou, Lou exemplifies many of these traits of a good D and D player. We haven't seen any of them, but he's we've done heard them. rumor. Yeah, someone once told me. Yep. That. <laughs> Actually. Lou is one of the most wildly entertaining players I've ever had at a table. And if he's sitting at my table, I know we're going to have a really, really good time. And he doesn't, he does not let down. (laughs) I can, I can think of uh, numerous good times I've had with, uh, with Lou's character and NPCs and uh, so many, so many come to mind. Yeah, see, I can't because you hog Lou. Lou makes my job easy, and I like that. I, I get that, but and you, you hog Lou. I do. I, I do. I don't get to experience any Lou. And and I will I will go out of my way to put Lou and Corrick at the same table because I know there's <laughs> going to be some some strife going on there, and I like it. And I get all the rules, lawyers. You get all the you get all the rules, lawyers, uh, so you can just tell them to shut up, like the crotchety old fart that you are, and they listen to you. So well, yeah, that yeah, I got to give you that. I, yeah, I just I don't want because I said so. Yeah, I don't want them to knock me out of my immersion and out of my <laughs> out of my uh, my performance. Uh, I listened to DM Bill record his DM quick tip about the performer. I think that's me. 
I'm going to have to agree. Um, so keep your eyes or your ears rather open for his quick dip on the performer. Um, I did, the, I did a few voices. I hope they don't sound alike. I didn't think I they didn't did. think they did. No. That was top notch. That was. That was fantastic. You guys are sucking up and I love it. Yeah. Um <laughs> My drink is almost empty. That's why. Uh, so, that, but by the time you listen to this, you've probably already heard DM Bill's uh, quick tip on the performer. So yeah, you quite will likely. know. Yes, you will exactly know exactly what, what I'm talking about. But definitely check those out too, because he's a little. Uh, oh my God! I did you hear me? I just breathed. Lou on the mic. Us, on the mic. Yes. Lou told us not to do that. Here comes the slapping. Yeah, uh, I'll save it for later. It's good. Yeah, he's. He's through like, the nose, not through the mouth. He's not going to – my nose is still broken from the last time you hit me with a microphone for breathing. So yeah, I have the, to mouth it'll, like, it'll sound like it's right? blowing Sorry. bubbles. Sorry. <laughs> Again. <laughs> Again. <laughs> and hospitals are mandated reporters, so you can expect a visit. You're welcome. I just tell them take your blood alcohol count. But check out those uh, <laughs> the series on the different types of DMs that DM Bill is doing. It's, there you go. Uh, not only interesting, but it's entertaining. So let's talk five habits of a good D&D player. Let's. Let's start off with the first one. Yeah. All right. We're going to make a compelling character that fits in with the party and the campaign. Why? Um, why do you want to do that? No particular reason. I mean, why bother? Just make whatever you want and pay no attention to what the game master has set up for you during session zero and said, hey, gee, I want a party full of elves. So, oh, you want to make that kobold barbarian wizard cleric thing? Oh, sure. No, 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 no. Um, the whole idea of making a compelling character, let's start with that, is you want you want something that is going to be enjoyable for you to play and for the others to witness you play. Absolutely. When when I think of compelling characters, there is the um, and and it's not to say that the uh, our our second campaign at our long long week doesn't have any compelling characters because they certainly do. But when I think of compelling characters, the first group that pops into my mind was the group from that first seven year long campaign that we did at our long weekend. Yep. Where they were none of them were heroes. I think the, the the most entertaining thing was they weren't heroes. They were extremely flawed, but they did heroic things. Well, they're conscripts. Yeah. For the most part. I mean, they were sent by their different nations and whatnot to help figure out what was wrong with the world. And uh, the name of the what we called the world asunder. Yep. And they were just okay. You're the best we have to offer, so you get to go and figure out what's going on. Or you're the ones that we really don't care about if they return. You <laughs> yeah. know, depending on and where yeah, they depending on where you're coming from. But yeah, they, you're right. None of them were heroes, but as individuals, eventually, and as a group, they did heroic things. They did. They did. They did very heroic things, and their their backstories were. Which which were worked into the into the campaign were very compelling because it wasn't black hats and white hats. Oh no, there there was it, nothing it was but shades of gray across every single yeah, one of them. Different shades of gray where they were extremely flawed, um, 
it seems like nobody liked each other at first, but then they developed um, really, really strong, strong bonds of friendships. Um, and when I, when I think of um, uh, all the, the uh, emotional investment that the players had in their characters and in other players' characters, it was like this was a, a um, magical. The bar was set so high that we had trouble getting game masters because they didn't think they could even come close. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because, um, I mean, you know, you wrote an, an absolutely amazing story. Thank you. Um, I built some creatures and some magic items, and we sat down and we, we kind of hammered out the details, and then you grabbed one table and I grabbed another, and we off we off went. Off we went. And it turned out to be, like you said, magical, because it was a fantastic story, and the character, like I said, the backstories were great because... I mean, I, I my character was supposed to be the moral compass. All right, you know, Mullif, the, the, the cleric, was, you know, what what everyone kept saying, oh, for God's sakes, don't let Mullif find out. Um, I think and, the big one was, uh, what would Mullif do? What would Mullif do was, is how they, they kind of directed themselves. He was, but, a, he was, but, a, he was a, a pain in the ass of epic proportions, but it was a... Oddly enough, it was it was likable. It was it was well tempered because there wasn't a um, wasn't a lot of God. I can't stand that guy. Um, it was a lot more of yes, he is a little irritating. He is sitting on a high horse, but um, he's he's ours nonetheless. Well, I mean, th- I think he proved himself as a fairly powerful caster, um, and. Part of that um, probably was the reason why they didn't want to upset him. He had a terrible habit of knocking buildings down with spells or blowing them up. It's a bad habit Lou picked up. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm that's th- where my character got it from. <laughs> yeah, that's, it's it, worked, it worked so it's hereditary. You're right. Uh, it is. It, it was hereditary. You. Yes, my great-great-great-grandfather used to blow up buildings, so I'm going to too. Yay. Um, but even him as the, the moral compass had his major flaws as well. Yeah, and there were um um they all fit with the party in the campaign despite being uh differing alignments and differing classes and differing mm-hmm. Ra- you know, races yeah. and, and, and the and, and the they, whatnot. But they did they uh, clashed initially, pretty much all of them. Uh, no one got along with anybody. But as it went on, they you know formed the bonds of friendship and well to start with trust, yeah. And then the friendship came from that, and then there was the admiration of one character to the next, where everyone admired everyone else. And I and I think that was the compelling part. Yep, and and they they all fit in with the party in the campaign because they, they did. were all very much so flawed. Well, I think a lot of it too is we use the backstories yep. quite a bit, and they fit into the campaign because we used the backstories that they provided, and they were all pretty good backstories. I mean, yeah. lengthy, detailed. Uh, most of them were chronological, so it was easy to follow the paths, and we could use that to build the campaign, and then work each one of them in. They each had their moment to to shine. 
uh, where the backstory or, or their, the story they're building on came to light. Yeah, you can you can easily recall those uh, those moments of that 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 people had to to shine. I I can think of like a whole bunch for yep. Lou's character, but um, I recall the battle with the uh, the old god in the temple and how uh, Solinar and Mullif pretty much combined their magical abilities and dropped the temple. Yeah, we we on we, top of him. yeah we dropped a ziggurat. Yeah, um, he stunned him, and I bound him to his own altar, and then we collapsed the ziggurat around them and us. Um, Solinar got out. I had planned on going down with the ship until Lou's character, um, Kaisi, dragged me out. <laughs> but yeah, we we between the two of us, we magically basically grabbed a god's avatar, bound it to his own altar, then dropped his temple on top of him, and, and it slid into a lake. By the time we got done with it, and, and even even Sin's character, who was a very chaotic presence in the party. <laughs> um, and uh, much much like Sin is, where it's, it's uh, he's not like chaotic in a wicked way, but Sin uh, Sin marches to the beat of his own drum and makes no apologies for it. But at the end, Sin's character had had her big moment in that um, after she had uh, done all of those those things that were you know, misguided and somewhat terrible that she was invited back into the tavern, which was like the uh the the heavens, yes. so to speak, for all the, the characters the, that had since the, the, uh there's char- away. those characters Elysian fields. Yeah. Um so she was she was welcomed back to her party after a while of just being a, a shadowy visage outside the tavern doors. Mm-hmm. Um and there she had that that redemption um and uh was such a such a compelling character and sometimes i um the not sometimes all the time the line uh between sin and his character is very blurred (laughs) so you don't know where one ends and the other begins um we had brought her back for as a as a deceased npc but a major um a major focal point of um, the plot line for the second year, yeah, or the second series, series, yeah. Um, but when you make those kind of compelling characters, then you you almost have to use them. Yes, you have to use them further. I mean, our timeline was two hundred and fifty odd years later, and we had to use Lanier Near, um, yep. because it was such a compelling character initially. And to see the look on Sin's face as all these these revelations started coming forth about she was a hero and, and how you know she was trying to make amends for what she had done. And that's how she got her way back into the Elysian fields after she passed. But you know, all the heroic things she did and she was honored and praised and, and worshipped, you know, in so many places. And he's like when did this happen? But it, it unfolded as the story did, and the look on his face was was fun to watch. And everyone yeah. else going, wait a minute, uh, Sin's character did what? I I have a rule that when I take away as a DM, I always give back. I always give mm-hmm. back at some point in time, but not immediately. Um, and that's what it was for... Um, 
for Sin's character because uh, that was the character most likely to be corrupted. Correct. Um, so I corrupted her. Um, and it added to the drama and it added to that, that, that story that made it really, really deep. Um, well, we did the same thing with Andrew's character. Yes. The troll. Um, I took his arm off. Yep. And kept it. Um, his character had no arm. He was missing one arm. And we used an artifact from the first series that it was a magic item, uh, that, reformed itself from one appendage to a different, it used to be a leg and it reformed itself to an arm and he was gifted the, the appendage from a hero from the first series. Yep. Lose a, lose elderly dwarf from the, no, uh, no, no, that was uh Todd's character. Well, his character died and, yes. um, in battle right. and lose elderly Elderly dwarf, because they were both two old dwarves. That's the only, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Only two that were left. Right. And one of them died, so Lou's character was all by himself, uh, which is the way he was at the end of the first seven years when we ended it, and he uh, pretty much sat on the edge of his bed and died of old age all yep. alone because all of his all of his friends had already already passed away. Right. You know, it was kind of like that curse of being being the long lived one in a group of friends, it's like, do you want to live that long? If all the people you know and love are, are gone. Um, it's, it's a gift and a curse at the same time. And and all that bleeds into our next point, uh, get emotionally invested in your character and in other players characters as well. Um, I think we've pretty much covered that one already. That's huge though. Really? It is. If, um, well, that drives the story. Yeah. And it drives your players to want to come back week after week to see what's not necessarily what's happening with their character, but what's happening to the other characters. Yep. It's, um, it's one of those, uh, it's one of those, those opportunities that you as a DM have to look for. Um, when I was running the second year, um, I ran my character from the first year that you ran yep. as, as an NPC and we centered the adventure kind of around Lou's character where he, he was brought being brought back to his, um, his home to face some charges after, you know, he had escaped prison and, uh, he did not get along with, with, the character I was running as an NPC, but he said, I'm going to go there with you no matter how dangerous it is. We'll go back to your home and we'll, we'll stand alongside you because you're our friend and, you know, opportunities like that build that kind of emotional investment in another person's character, mm-hmm. um, which is key. And uh, you always have to look for those, those opportunities as a DM to kind of, uh, you know, nudge it along. But as a player, especially, you have an opportunity if if it's there to get that emotional investment, take it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, you are playing your character, but uh, we've mentioned this countless times. It's a cooperative game. Yeah. And if you can find yourself um, through the story, finding a way to to bond yourself with another character. That doesn't mean you have to go out there and go, hey, we're blood brothers, or I'm going to marry you, or, or something, you know, 
um, straightforward and, and borderline goofy like that. Granted, people do that. And in some cases, that might be the perfect way to do it. Yep. But in most cases, you know, it let the story drive you. And you see an opportunity, like you mentioned, where these two characters could find a common ground. Even if they don't like each other, they find a common ground that helps bind them. You know, take advantage of it. as a player, take advantage of that and say, all right, well, um, all right, you come right out and, and role play it out. Uh, Scott, you, you know, uh, or, or Cal, uh, you, uh, uh, I never really did like you all that much, but you know that was that was uh, a really stand up thing you just did, and uh, you know, I'll I'll pay you back someday. Don't worry about it. And until then, you know I I got your back. You know, and and little things like that, you know, role play them out and take advantage of it and look for that opportunity when you know that all of a sudden you know that character is in trouble and you're in a position. Okay, do I? Do I step out of my combat and take the shot so I can save him because he's going to go down if I don't intercede? Do it. Take the shot. You know, disengage from your, your character and, and put yourself in harm's way to save that other character because that's your opportunity. And now that bond becomes even closer. Now you have a, you know, you have a, a friend in combat as opposed to just someone you travel with. I think you can even go a little further, you know, as a player. As a player, um, I think it was probably two sessions ago we had ended the session. And Cal, one of Scott, Scott's Barbarian, um, Ulred, and Sir Higgedine all went in one direction. Um, and they left me by myself to go on my own merry way. <laughs> well, when we came back to... The, you know, the next um, uh, week long, um, I was different towards Cal. And he was like, what's wrong? I was like, well, I, I found a moment to say, you left me alone. And I think that brought him over to me a little bit because yeah. he saw that, I, you know, I'm like, I needed you and you weren't around. You left me all by myself. You abandoned me, Cal. Pretty much. So I yeah. played on the emotions of that yep. to try to draw his character and some of the other guys around me to yeah, excellent just, just excellent to, point just to build on so it's just not it doesn't have to be combat related is what i'm no, saying no it doesn't you can um play to the other person's emotions like i said i was like how would i you know how, you know we traveled and did all these things all these heroic things and now he's just waved by and left how would somebody really feel so I, when we get came met back up i was like you abandoned me you left me alone and i was you know my character was hurt by that yeah. And so I played that to his emotions. Yeah, you ran off with all your combat friends and just left me here. Yeah. Cal, you're an and ass. It, and it worked. <laughs> it, it, it did. So we, you know, we, we had some, some dialogue at the table about that. And, you know, he was like, you never said, you never said goodbye. And I, you know, I was like, well, my people, they only say goodbye when they're dying. You know, so it was a. It was, it, it was, it was a learning experience for for me. It was <laughs> yeah, cultural. Right. It's yep. cultural, and you know, for you, is emotional, yeah. and then you, then you both found the common grounds. It's like, oh, um, I'm sorry. Well, I'm sorry too. You know. Yeah, but we, and the thing is, we kind of role played that. We just didn't say this is what happened. Right. We actually, I was as grabbing. I was like, you, Cal, you left me alone. I was hurt. You, you didn't even say goodbye, and I, you know, Scott's face was like, oh shit. <laughs> well, I wasn't expecting yeah. it. Where the I hell did that come from? <laughs> but that's uh that that was you know that's a good opportunity to to improv and and deepen the 
you know, the, the story. Never, ever, ever uh, forget that D&D is uh, it's a role-playing game. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more than just rolling dice and looking up rules and quoting rules. What I think people forget, too, is it's just not the DM telling the story. He's just telling the overall greater picture, and you're filling, you and your comrades are filling in all the blanks. So you're just not rolling dice. You're actually creating a story for amongst for yourself and amongst all your other players as it, well. It's cooperative storytelling at at its finest. Yep. Um, and that's one of the things that makes it uh, wonderful to engage in a hobby like that. It's impulsive. It's organic. Yeah. And just, and you have to feed it. You yeah. have to feed it with your emotions. You have to feed it with your imagination. You have to feed it, you know, with your role playing and, you know, let the monster grow. Yeah, because if you don't, all you're doing is just rolling dice. Yeah. And that's no fun. And it's time for a break. Let's talk about this week's sponsor. Drip It is an online gaming magazine that focuses on the gamer, not just the games. Join the discussion of Dungeons and & Dragons and other tabletop role-playing games, retro gaming, classic gaming, and all those great games that don't get enough attention. Drippit calls itself an inclusive gaming roundtable. Yes, just like King Arthur's Knights of the Roundtable. Regardless of who you are or what you're playing, you are equally deserving of the respect owed to all who do battle in the world of gaming. Check them out at drippit.com. That's D-R-I-P-P-I-T.com. And we're back. So we've gone over compelling characters that fit in with your party and your campaign. We've gone over emotionally investing yourself in your character and, more importantly, other people's characters. So let's move on to the next point, shall we? Let's involve your DM and the other players in your character creation. This is the fun one. Most important one, I think. It's the foundation. It's the foundation. This is where it all stems from. So if you involve your DM in your character creation, because your DM in session zero is going to tell you where you're playing, uh, the expectations, the basic plot line, storyline of where you're going to go. So if he says, okay, we need um, a fair amount of casters because you're going to need it. Think about playing a caster. If you turn around and go, well, no, I have my heart set on a barbarian. Okay, fine. If it fits and they need the tank and everyone else picks a caster, you can probably get away with it. But if everyone decides, nope, we all want to be barbarians, uh, the game master either has to change his entire scenario or he's going to tell you no and make a caster. It would behoove you to take your game master's... um, uh, suggestions to heart because I if if we've used this example a couple of times if everything revolves around spell casting and you do not have a spell casting character you're basically just sitting on the bench yes yeah that's no fun no you know so you have to you have to involve your DM the DM doesn't necessarily it's not to say your your DM should dictate what you play no but collaborate with your with your DM, go. This is what I'm. This is what I'm interested in playing. How does it fit with the campaign that you're proposing to run? 
and understand that it may not be a perfect fit, but that's not to say that you're going to hammer that round peg into the square hole either. You know, so there, there's gotta be, there's gotta be a little give and take on, on both ends. Um, and involving your, your DM in the character creation is, is key because you can answer all those questions like, all right, what's your backstory? And your DM should know what your backstory is because they can add that to the campaign to kind of deepen the immersion and really get that spotlight on, on the character. And I think that's really important to an enjoyable campaign. I know when I, when I was, you know, when I go as an, as a player, I usually do not have any preconceived notions of what I'm going to play. I wait for session zero and, and find out what the game master is going to tell me about what he intends to play, his basic storyline, what he's looking for, and then I will generate my character based on that. Because as he's describing what he's looking for, that dusty Rolodex I call a brain is flipping through going, okay, maybe this, maybe this, maybe this, maybe this, maybe this. No, 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 no. Backtrack, backtrack. Oh, no, wait, wait. We can do this. We can do this. And I eventually settle on something-ish. But at least I have a general idea, and then I start building. And I'm notorious for Iron Man, so I will random roll a whole bunch of crap and come up with this goofy-ass character that somehow works. But that's just my superpower. But I won't make, come in with a preconceived notion going, you know something? Um, I'm playing a cobalt warlock. I, that's what I decided I'm going to you know, game. When I get there, I'm going to tell the game master, this is what I'm going to play. And it doesn't fit because you're in an all-human or elven world. And you decide you're going to play a cobalt. And he says, no, no, you have to play. The only restriction I have is you have to play a human or an elf or a blend, half elf. And if you don't do that, you're not going to fit. So you need to figure something out. But I'm playing a cobalt. <laughs> All right, your game master has a couple of choices. And the player is probably not going to like most of them. Yeah, and, and you know, understand that um, your DM puts a lot of work into preparing a game. Even if it's just a one shot, there's still some work that goes into it. Preparing a campaign and really doing it right and bringing in backstories. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of stuff outside of the, um, the session that has to happen. And, um, you know, doing stuff like that is just, I don't know. It's not cool. You know, you're, you have to appreciate the amount of effort that, um, your DM puts into things. So I have both played not often enough and I've, I've DM'd. So I see it from from both ends and yep. as a player I spend far less time prepping. I show up at the table, I pull my wrinkled character sheet out of whatever book I'm carrying it in and I look at it and I go, "Okay, I'm ready." As a DM, I'm I'm constantly I'm taking notes, I'm putting them in the little book I carry with me. It's a lot of work. Appreciate the fact that your DM is working their butt off for you. Um, and, and roll with it. If you have your heart set on that cobalt warlock, go ahead and roll it up and set it aside because yeah, your campaign is not going to last forever. The opportunity is going to come for you to play your warlock, yeah. your cobalt warlock. It's going to come. Just wait for it. But for this scenario, make a human and, an elf. And, and, and if you don't, if you insist, if you argue with the, the game master, 
right? You're putting the game master in a, a weird position. The other players who are following this one and only edict that he came up with um, are going to be irritated. And um, I'm just going to come out and say it. It's a dick move. It, it is. It really is. Right? It's, just don't be that guy. All right? right. You're going to have your shot. All right. In the meantime, come up with something else. Yeah, I don't know how many times I've I've made characters and I've either determined myself, you know, this doesn't really fit with the game that, you know, so-and-so is running. Or I've made a character that I thought was going to be a great fit and the DM's like, yeah, you know what, really not a great fit and here's why. And I'd be like, oh, okay. And um, I've taken those characters and I've put them in a binder. And I've waited for the opportunity to play that character and... Every single time I've done that, I've had the opportunity to play that character. And not only that, but you would be able to come back at it because a little bit of time has gone by, and you come back to that character and you read it through going, wow, this is actually a good character, but I think I want to change this. Yeah. All of a sudden you make these little tweaks and these little adjustments, and, and it be nine times out of ten, more often than that, it's going to be a better character. I don't know how many times when we were playing 2, 2.5, how many times have I just sat down and generated characters and just stuck a stack of them on the table? Okay, pick one. All right, there's yeah. 50 characters, Bill, and there's only four of us. What do you mean? Um, there's still a stack on the floor over there, and there's got to be two, 300 characters in that stack, and probably only half of them have ever been played. Make your character, because making the character for me is just fun, but make your character, put them aside. You're going to have your shot. But now how do we get the other players um, involved in your character creation? Pretty easy. I've seen that at, I've seen that at play before um, where, uh, what was it, uh, Lou and Corrick played siblings in the same campaign. Yep. Um, I've, I've seen all, all manner of things. I, I want to say that me and Chet, played a two-headed troll. One was the smart head and one was the meat head. And I don't remember which one I was. I was good. Uh, I was going to say the meat head. I, I'm not even going there. Um, but, because it could go either way. But that would, yeah. Yeah, it could very easily have gone either way. Um, and and that was fun because we were both like, I'm, I'm almost positive it was Chet. I'm, yeah, I'm, I believe uh, it was. Yeah. I'll have You've to mentioned ask him. It. You've but, mentioned it, yeah. It was uh it was a good time. We both were like, Oh, well, we wanna play this, we wanna play that. We're like, how about a two headed troll? And um we we went with it. You know, it was the same character sheet, but one head was a warrior and the other head was like a cleric or he did something with spells. Um and uh you know, we we would all we he and I would individually roll for saving throws or whatever have you, you know, whatever came up. Uh, based on you know which head the target was, so there's a lot of things you can do. To, well, uh, well, you mentioned the case of of Cork and Lou. They both they built their characters independently, and then at, after they were built, they started talking. Oh, well, I did this and I did this, and they did almost parallel things, except at the very end, one went one way and one in the other, and there was this divergence between the two of them. And that's when they said, well, what if we were siblings? And then, you know, you were the older and I was the younger. And 
an opportunity came for you to do this and, and I didn't want that. So I went the other way, but we had the same basic backstory. That pretty much was it. And it worked out absolutely phenomenal for the two of them where they had this connection that didn't, it didn't bind them together, but they're bonded nonetheless. And it was a beautiful dynamic. Yeah. And that's, you know, that comes back around to getting your, uh, emotional investment from other players in, in your character. That's a great way to do that. Sort yes. Of thing. Yes. When you, when you start from the get go where you are already invested in that character. Yeah. And how does this, how does my character fit with your character and how does, you know, uh, do we, do we mesh? Well, do you think we would mesh well, or do you think there'd be a little tension? Neither way is perfectly fine. Yeah. No, I think in, in our case, both Cork, his background, he came from a dysfunctional family mm-hmm. and so did not. I think, both of one of our parents was a drunk. The other mom was getting, you know, something else. And we were, it was so close. Well, the, yeah. The, the, you would have thought I, we sat I, down with each you, other. And that's exactly what I'm saying. You, you guys ran like parallel backstories just independently. And they would, and it's like, Oh, Holy crap. You guys cheating off each other. No, and then there? We both it's, said, should we just be family members and, you know, build yeah. the story that way? But at least yeah. we have our own story within a story. Yes. And yeah. that's what we did. You know, one of the other ways of getting, um, getting a buy-in from other players when you're, you're creating a character is when you uh, built Gravin and you, uh, you made him a distant relative, uh, a descendant of one of Bill's characters. And, you know, there's, there's an emotional investment in that as well. And there's, there was certainly involvement in the creation of that character because you were, I had you know, many talks. His, yeah, many talks yeah. with Bill, and I had to because yep. Bill's character Mulliff was from our first seven-year campaign, um, and then when we started on our eighth year, that we you know we finished up the first seven, and as we were getting ready to start the the next chapter, I had to sit down and talk with Bill because there was a I think it was a two hundred fifty-year gap. Yes, and so we had many talks. I had some talks with you just to make sure everything fit, mm-hmm. and. It actually, my I thought it was pretty good. I was very happy yeah. with it. It, it, it came, out. It I, came out. I was yeah. proud of my legacy. My, you know, the way I went about it, I, for me, it was paying tribute to the DM and to Bill at the same time because he's played Mulliff in the beginning. Now he's DMing. Mulliff's no longer around, but it's a way to you know to say you know we're still bonded and thank you, Bill. You're welcome. I, one of the tricks I use is the round robin, where as they build their characters, I'm like, I'll stop them in the middle of the creation. How are you guys doing? Oh, we're about halfway through. Great. Everyone stop. All right, Scott, um, give us what you have for your background, and you'll give your background. And then I'll look over the person next to him. Lou. My, my player hates Lou's. Yeah. My character hates Lou's character. Uh, how How are you tied to his character? I hate his character too. There, there you go. Perfect. And then I'll look at Lou and look at the person next to him. Now, how are you tied to Lou's character? And how are you tied? And I will make them in their backstory tie themselves to the person next to him. And that's kind of, I think maybe that's where Tom got that. Because when Cork and I were playing brothers, that was Tom's game. Yep. And he had everybody kind of, in a, you know, we were all from the same village. And he was like, how did you know him? But, you know, he's a, I think I was in the, the Smith shop. Yep. Or yeah, the yeah, the you were your Smith, yeah. And so then somebody else, oh, well, I know the Smith, but I work in a tannery. And then somebody else, so we all kind of Tom spun the web where we all knew each other somehow. And then we, through some happenstance, through um, some festival, we joined together as a group. Right. 
Now, Tom was one of my protégés. Yep. He was very, very young when he, I, you know, was one of the people that introduced him to the game. So um, I'll take all the credit you know, because I'm the old guy, and that's what we do. Um, anyone younger than that does this something that we've already done. Yep, that was my, that was me. Yep. Uh, so let's move on to the next one, shall we? Yeah, let's talk about arguing. Right, it's it's okay to argue a point. Why did you look at Lou when you said that? I'm I'm wondering that. And myself. Lou looked right at you. I mean, just two of you, you heard the word <laughs> arguing, and both of you like <clears throat> whiplash snap. You know, uh, actually, Lou is one of the least argumentative people at the table that I've ever ever ever. Played this is with. true. He just causes arguments. Um, he he does. Uh, <laughs> and you know, part of the reason part of the reason why I think Lou is is not much of of an arguer is because um, there's a trust. Uh, he trusts me that I'm not going to do anything, you know, terrible or outside of the social contract to his character and that whatever ruling I make is furthering the storyline in the campaign and it will become clear at some point in time. But not everybody, not everybody is like that. And that's not to say that I have players from our group at the table that are argumentative because they're really not. Oh, um, well, you put those all those people on my table. Yeah, and that's why. Um, <laughs> so because um, I give them the grandfather look, and and it shuts it right down. But even um, there's a there's a way to do it. It's okay to argue a point. Absolutely. Um, but know when to concede. Like uh, I don't, I don't, um, I don't do arguing a point at the table during game time because I think it slows up game play and I think that's unfair to the rest of the rest of the players. So I'll usually say um, I have kind of like a blanket rule during a break. We'll talk about it. Um, after the session, we'll talk about it. And um, my ruling stands right now. If I'm wrong, I will say I apologize. I am wrong. Or um, – I will, if the the point is valid enough, and I've had these discussions with Korok over and over again where he's been like, hey, actually, the, you know, this is what this is what the rule says. And um, he's very tactful about that in that he will, it's not one-sided. Oh, no, he'll argue for the players yeah, and argue for the game like, master. you ruled wrong in our favor. And I was like, really? And he's like, yeah, this is actually how we should. And he did a lot of that when we were first learning 5th edition. Yes. Um, and, uh, you know, so that's, that's very nice. You know, well, the downside of starting a brand new, uh, game mechanic is when you're building your scenarios, you're spending more time building the scenarios than reading the rules. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and we have to thank our rules lawyers. Cause I had Jared at my table doing the same thing to me. Yeah. And Jared's very tactful at that yeah. too. You know, he will point out a rule and he will, you will let it go, and uh, I re I remember I don't know who it was, but someone was was made mention of something. They were running the game, and I was like, "Actually, the rule says this." And Jared Jared said, "You are absolutely right, but actually, the DM's ruling is final." <laughs> and uh, he was absolutely correct on that. Uh, the DM's ruling is final, so know when to concede. Yes, um, know when to be like, "Okay, you know, I." You know, no one, no one to back off. It's not an adversarial thing, nor should it ever be. Don't even argue at the table. Wait, like you said, wait yeah. till break time or after session. 
Now keep yeah. in mind, we are directing this towards the players because mm-hmm. this entire episode is directed toward the players, not the game masters. The game masters know when to, you know, back off or should know when to back off and when to press. But as players, this is what yes. we're. This is why we're directing this, and this is where we're going to. As players, please, you know, make your point. If it's an obvious, obvious transgression of the rules, then yes, bring it up. But don't argue it. You know, make your point. Um, and then move on. Yeah, and I would say the only time that really you should actually argue a point is when you know um, you have a uh, a dick DM doing dick things. Yes, and in which case, yeah, you know, call call the DM out on that. If there's obvious, you know, player targeting and me versus them stuff, that's fine. But on the little rules things, ultimately, thank, thank goodness cares? we've never had to deal with that. Never had to deal with that. And the one instance where I did, my dice had my back. So. Yeah. The um, uh, <laughs> yeah. Understand, like the whole term dungeon master. There's the term master in there, and uh, that could be a little misleading. Your your DMs or your GMs or storytellers or whatever the hell they are, however you call them, they are not always right. Hell no. But their ruling is always. Final. Yes. So understand that. Um, Especially if I'm your game master. Well, if you were to ask Bill, <laughs> um, don't bother. I'll give you the answer. Bill is always right um, because I'm the game master and I said so. That's how that usually goes. He's probably got a T-shirt that says that. That's I why I don't I, argue. <laughs> that, And I have another one that says... Make a saving roll, bitch. Okay, so let's move on to the next one, shall we? Show some appreciation for the hard work your DM did preparing the campaign and running it. Uh, I think if you've listened to any of our episodes, or at least two, you're going to realize that it's a lot of work for a game master. Yeah, it is. We do a lot of work. Yes. Research. Monsters, magic, the scenario, NPCs, maps, sometimes terrain. Yep. There's a lot to get, even for one-shots, there's a lot involved in putting this together. And if you have not experienced it, then you just don't know. And just take it for what it's worth, guys. I mean, you're showing up, you have your your bag of Lay's, you know, potato chips and your six pack of Pepsi and you sit in the middle of the table. Okay. I did my part. And then you play. And then when you're done, you grab the empties cause you know, your wife told you bring back the empties. We recycle you threw your trash in, in, in the trash receptacle. You cleaned up, you gathered up your things and you left your game master. In the meantime is already writing stuff for next week or next time you, you get together has to clean up the terrain. Most oftenly, your game master is hosting. So has to clean up the area, put everything away, turn off the lights, goes back to bed, and next week do it all over again. And you show up once again with a bag of Funyuns and a six-pack of Mountain Dew. And I did my due diligence. Um, No. No, no. You know, and something as simple as a thank you goes a long way. Um, Our group is really good at that and that makes me that makes me happy when they say hey thank you i had a really good time 
and that um that makes me makes me happy that makes me feel like all that hard work was was worth it they do it just uh, so you can keep game mastering yeah but that's fine i'm okay with it not, uh, not really i'd rather someone else take over um, 47% of the people actually mean it yeah and that's um that's that's almost half and and 98% of statistics are made up yeah that is true too but if you if you really want to thank me um uh, cool Ranch Doritos or Cheesy Poofs and Dr. Pepper or Line and Google sh- Summer Shanty. Drop that in front of me. Say thank you for being my DM. And uh, please don't get too drunk while running the game. And uh, You do it with a tear in your eye. You might even get experience points. You might. Chances might. are good you will. Actually, after I've had a couple, yeah, you're definitely getting uh, getting, <laughs> getting some experience points. But show some appreciation. It could be any number of ways. Hey, I'll I'll pick up the tab for a pizza or we're going to order a pizza DM. No need to do so. Um, we'll cover the pizza and you just sit back and, and, and run the game no, or just, thank you just or, hang out to the game and help clean. Yeah. Something like that isn't it, bad either. It, it's simple as that. I mean, a thank you, uh, an extra pair of hands picking up the, you know, the gaming table and, and the grounds thereabouts, but show appreciation for what your game master has put, a, put together for you. Yeah, and if you know your your game master um really 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 likes funny bones like a whole whole lot show up with with a box of funny bones and put them in front of DM Scott or whoever else you DM maybe. Yeah, uh, little little things like that. Little things like that. Maybe not a whole box cuz I'll end up beating it and then I'll feel guilty and um and you'll get more experience points. No you won't. <laughs> it'll be a very passing guilt i'm like well it's done so what yeah, am i just, gonna do not, no sense dwelling on it i might as well finish the last one hey can one of you guys get those wrappers yeah <laughs> i'm in a carb coma i can't move um yeah there's any number of small things you can do to um you know kind of show your appreciation for for your dm um even if it's, you know, pitching in and buying the newest book that's coming out because you know your DM's going to own every single book because if they're running the game, you know, they need to have all that Especially stuff. consistently. Yeah. Especially the game has to consistently. And even if you you are the the the, the nexus for this and you pull all the, the players aside and say, hey, everyone pitch in five bucks. You know, there there's six of us. That's $30. The book's twenty nine ninety nine. On sale on Amazon. Let's let's all pitch and get the book and just give it to them. Yeah, yeah. You know, we know we know we're going to be using it. We show up every week and we ask for the book, um, so we all get to use it. But you know that way, this guy's not you know flitting the bill for every single book that comes out. Yeah, and they're they're um they're they're starting to ramp up the five e treadmill quite a bit. I've yeah. noticed. Yeah, so it's it's gonna it's gonna get costly. Granted, you don't have to have every book, but you know it does it does help every person I've ever met that is DM'd for a long period of time has a boatload of books, a we're, boatload of books. We are all completionists. Uh, we all have, yeah. you know, see, you know, OCD. We have to have them all. Even if we know it sucks, even if we know we're not going to use it, it has to be part of the collection. Yep. That that's us old school guys. Yeah. So want to wrap this up? Yeah, let's, let's wrap it up. I got some funny bones calling my name. Okay, so layers, all right? When you're making your character, 
Think about your game master. Think about your players. Include yourself into their world, both the players and the characters. Try to be cooperative. Try to be inclusive. And try to have fun. Bill, Scott, thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome, Lou. We knew you would write us about we knew you would write us up write about us one day. Wanna try that again? No. <laughs> Fuck it. And those are five habits of a good D and D player. See you next week in the dojo. That's going to conclude this episode. Thanks for tuning in and listening. Please subscribe to the podcast for more great content. If you'd like to hear a particular topic, you can reach us out on Facebook at the Dungeon Masters Dojo. Or you can drop us an email at the Dungeon Masters Dojo at gmail.com. Thank you and have a good day. <laughs>